Good morning. In 1 Kings 22 and a similar story in 2 Chronicles chapter 18, we have a very interesting story that kind of exemplifies what we're talking about in 2 Peter chapter 2. So the story kind of starts with, so King Ahab, he's itching for a fight. He wants to have a war with one of his neighbors. But he kind of looks over his army and he realizes that his army cannot defeat the other army. So he needs an ally, someone to help him fight the war. By happenstance, his good buddy, Jehoshaphat, is also in Jerusalem visiting him, right? And they're actually quite tied to each other because Jehoshaphat is somewhere related to him through marriage. They both rule the same people, the Israelites. And so Jehoshaphat agrees quite readily to show support to Ahab. But he has one condition. Before we run off to battle, let's inquire of the Lord. What is God's intent here? So, simply enough, Ahab is a very religious man, and he calls over 400 prophets together. And they all come together, and they all start prophesying the same one message. Ahab, go and attack. You will be victorious. So, Zedekiah, love all these hard names. Zedekiah is one of the prophets. He gets super excited, and he builds these big iron horns. And he puts them up on his head and he starts running around the courtyards pretending he's goring the prophets around him and says, just as the bull gores his enemies, Ahab, you will do the same. And the excitement is just building within the courtyard. But Jehoshaphat just doesn't quite feel right about it. So he's like, Ahab, is there any other prophets of which we can acquire of the Lord? Yes, There's this guy, Micah. We could call him too. So he quickly sends messengers over to get Micah. And the classic bureaucratic government, as they're headed towards Ahab in the courtyard and all the celebration that's happening there, they quickly get him up to speed. And they're like, Micah, this is very simple, very straightforward. All the prophets are saying, attack, attack, you'll be victorious. All you have to do is walk in, Say the same thing, and we can all go about our business. So Micah arrives, and he walks in, and he's like, Attack! You'll be victorious. But just dripping with sarcasm. And Ahab knows it right away. He's like, Micah, tell me the truth, the whole truth. And Micah says, I saw the Israelites scattered among the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And then the Spirit of God said, how will I entice Ahab to his death? Boom. The whole room goes silent. And Zedekiah right away knows how this message is going. He comes up and he just slaps Micah across the face and says, where did the Spirit of God go when he left me to go talk to you? That is kind of the situation we have in 2 Peter chapter 2. We have people who are telling us the truth and false prophets among them. We are part of what's a greater movement called the Restoration Movement in the, the Churches of Christ. And if you actually look at our practices and our beliefs, as a church, we are very vulnerable or very 
false prophets can easily rise up among us. Can anyone think of what among us, what do we believe and practice that makes it that false prophets could rise up among us? We're autonomous. Dell's got his airplane going. Any other ideas? Yes, we all have equal access to the scriptures. Ronnie? true. One of the things I really love about our church beliefs is one of the things we believe is that we're all priests of God. But that very belief makes us receptive to false prophets coming up. Because what Kelly says, it is equal footing with what I say. What Michael says is equal footing with what Dell says. Any one of those four may or may not be speaking for the word of speaking for God, but we all get equal platform to talk. And even right now, right here, is a great example of it. I, just a regular person within our congregation, has been given a platform and a mic to speak. And there's been some check, don't get me wrong here, but largely speaking, I can say whatever I want for the next 30 minutes. Bruce, could you read Second Peter chapter two for us? Thank you. 
Thanks, Bruce. Before we go any further, I'd like to pray. Lord, I think that you are truth, that you know everything, and that you have given us your scriptures to help understand you better. Just pray that you will be with us, that we will speak truth for the next few minutes, that you'll give me the right words to communicate that, and that your glory will be given to you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So that's a big passage. There's lots of things going on in there. I used to be a framer, and the thing I think of after I read that is when you frame, you, you show up to your house when you first start, there's a foundation, and there's trucks of just 
dump material, right? So there's a pile of two by sixes here, some plate material, some two by tens here, might be some joists over here, some sheeting, and it's just all scattered around there. There's no real rhyme or reason why it's there. It's just there to build a house. Second Peter chapter two, to me, is just a bunch of material scattered in front of the foundation. But a couple weeks after, you have the structure of a house. All that material has been cut, trimmed, nailed, fastened, placed, for you have a house. We're going to skip the material section because it was going to take us way too much time. We're going to jump right to the frame house stage here. And I have just some points that I want to talk about in regards to Second Peter chapter 2. And hopefully it makes it clear what Peter is talking about here. Bruce, there should be a slide, but I didn't bring a pointer. Oh. <laughs> Technology is not my strong suit. Anyways, like I said, I'm a, I'm a carpenter. I had a shop teacher at SATE who was incredibly brilliant. So if you ever met a carpenter, you find out after a while they're not actually the sharpest tool in the shed. They're not actually that brilliant. And my shop teacher is really smart in that he realized to make them look smart, you had to teach them little techniques for they could do what's right without actually knowing all the things behind it. So one of his sayings was, you can just smell it. You got a sense of it, right? So you may not know that three times four is 24? Three times eight, sorry, three times eight is 24, right? But you know eight is roughly 10, so it has to be less than 30 and maybe a little bit more than 20. So you kind of get a sense of it, right? So I think that Peter gives us three things here for false prophets. So when you see this, you might not say exactly, oh, false prophet, number one, number two, he did this, 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 he's a false prophet. But when you hear this, you kind of get a sense that something's not quite right. First of all, destructive behavior. Can anyone think of what that would be from 2 Peter 2? Deny the power of God. They would also make what they believe to be uh, maybe even more important than what Scripture is. Their okay. idea is their behavior is going to be terrible as far as I think In my framed house, what I see is one, they have secret introduction. So not necessarily coming up from up front here, but they introduce uh, different ideas from kind of the back door. They, they bring the truth into disrebute. So the scriptures are very powerful, but Often when people talk about the scriptures, especially false prophets, it becomes, they start slandering and they no longer have respect for what the scriptures are. And of course, they exploit it for personal gains. It's okay to make money from being a preacher, but if you teach a certain way because you know you'll get more money that way, 
or there's money is only one of many things which you exploit for personal gain. And of course, they seduce the unstable. I think that's the wrong slide. So, followers of sinful nature. What can you personally do to follow the sinful nature instead of the Spirit of God? Lie? Pardon me? Following yourself? Yeah. Peter says that they will have a lack of shame. So the very things that you should be ashamed of it than your sin life, they'd be like, ah, it's okay. They are experts in greed. Again, kind of similar to exploiting for personal gain. They have empty words and boast appealing to our basic nature. We all want to feel good. And actually a good teacher of God should make you feel better. But at the same time, that can be used incorrectly. They're hypocrites. Freedom, right? Freedom. We all want freedom, especially in the North American context. We all love freedom. But they promise us freedom by doing what they do. But if you watch their lives closely, they're enslaved by activities beyond them, right? So they don't have the very freedom that they claim that they can give us by us obeying them. The last thing is you can kind of get a sense of their lack of, or that their false teacher is the despiser of authority or lack of respect. What would that look like in our church context? So a false teacher, according to Peter, they despise authority. Like his example is the, they talk about angels, things they do not understand, and they distribute them or whatever. They talk bad about them. Where, where are we? So in verse 11, he says, Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slander at, slanderous accusation against the things in the presence of the Lord. So they speak respectfully against, person of God and a godly teacher will speak respectfully of the things they don't understand, especially respectfully of the church and the authority structure within the church. But a false teacher would not, not respect the authority that's in place in his life and in the church that he's involved in. Scripture and everything else. It's very hard 
Yeah. Yeah, I think especially in like the family structure and the church structure too, a false teacher is very prone not to want to fall under like their role, you say I would say in the church. Like God has placed elders above us to be accountable for our souls. A false teacher is most likely not gonna respect that authority structure that God has put in place because they know better. It's an old, outdated system. Any similar thoughts to that? like the the coaches and I think recently in Calgary there's been a music teacher that had authority and they were doing good things but at the same time they're like you say they're using it for their own personal gain or pleasure or I don't know what else name you'd call it but next point I want to bring up is Ed there's a slide that says God is patient but judgment is coming First of all, Peter gives two examples here of God's patience. Two of them 
Two of them are from history. Anyone remember which one those are in Second Peter there? Verses 4 to 10 or so. Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah, yes. Two, Peter's brilliant here, giving these examples of God's patience, but at the same time, God's judgment. If we recall correctly, Noah took 100 years to build the ark. Does that, that sound about right? Yeah. Anyways, that's a lot of patience. I've, waiting four years for me is a long time, let alone 100 years of God's patience. And then, Sodom and Gomorrah, of course, God punished them very severely, but at the same time, he was very, I'm trying to remember the words were something like, I wanted to go down to see if the outcry was as great as I thought it was, that God was very patient. He wanted to actually find out what was happening down there. Near the end of the chapter, he talks about backsliding and putting them in worse conditions. What are the examples that he gives us there? A dog. Do you have a dog? Have you seen this happen before? As a child, it always amused me because we had little dogs around Ray Acreage too. And yes, dogs will vomit and they right away turn around and lick it up. And the other one, anyone raised pigs before? You had pigs? Were they outside? Yeah, true. Doesn't matter how much you clean a pig up, the second they can see dirt, they're dirty. And the same is with these false teachers. God cleans them up, but the second they see the opportunity to do evil again, they take at it. Jesus tells a story about evil spirits being removed from an individual. Does anyone remember that story? Someone want to tell it for us? List the story. Oh, (laughs) it's all about the introduction. Well, I'm just going to tell the story. So Jesus says that if a man has an evil spirit and it's cast out and he puts his house in order, right? So he cleans up his life and everything is good. But if he didn't replace it with anything, then the evil spirit will come back and make his life a live in hell and worse than it was already because he didn't replace the evil spirit with something else. And I really see this with the false prophets and false teachers, is they become Christians, their life gets cleaned up, but because they didn't actually address the real sin issues in their life, they just fixed the outside where they looked good, they're actually in worse condition than they were at the beginning because those evil desires are still controlling them. The first time I, not the first time, recently when I read this, I found this chapter very downer. It seemed like Peter was very angry and hateful and vengeful and even God. But I don't think that was his intent. And I actually think there's two big encouragements that we can take from it. The two are, in the story of Noah, we're reminded that God always preserves and protects his own. Like with Sodom, God went in there and he took out Lot, the 
four righteous, three righteous that he found there. He took them out. He saved them. Story of Noah, the only righteous man of all of the planet. And God saved them too. Can someone find John chapter 10, verse 25 to 30? And read it nice out loud for us, please. Yes, chapter 10, verse 25 to 30. Jesus very much articulates here that whatever God wants to save, he will accomplish that. I think Peter's doing the same reminder that even with all the false teachers and false prophets around us, those of us who want to be true to him, he will carry us through, regardless of how much better the other speaker is, how much better they can teach, etc. The truth will survive, and those who follow it will also come through. And Peter also reminds us, of the ultimate end of the false prophets, and that is destruction. Regardless of how much short-term they have gains, how much more popularity they get, how much more money they get, other, an outlet for their sexual des- or their sinful desires, etc., all those things, ultimately in the end, they will be punished for it. So if you look at a false teacher and you're like, oh, I kind of wish I had what they had right now, Remember, in the end, God will provide justice. They will reap from the nature in which they sowed. And that is destruction compared to the reward that God's going to give us for following him. Anybody would like to add anything from Second Peter chapter 2? Steve. definitely a trademark there in John chapter 10 like a false teacher when things get hard they're not there to defend you right they're going to run away Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, in our day and age, the context of speakers who can speak into our lives who we don't know anything about them, it, it is an extra element of danger. Because if I know you personally, I know whether or not you have control of your temper. Or what's your strategy for that or whatever. But if I don't know you, if I see you on YouTube, you can say amazing things. And I assume you're amazing. Yeah, it's true, like an individual like Joseph Smith, we put him right away on the pedestal, false teacher, easy to identify. But you're right, a guy who's just slightly off. Yes. We do need to offer grace a little bit in this context, though, because like you say, like... Carrie especially is a victim of this. I will spout things out of my mouth that once I hear them, I'm like, whoa, no. But I'm just trying to process it. My little brain is trying to figure out what I think and what I believe. But if you just heard me say that, you'd be like, oh, Ryan's a false teacher. But yeah, a little bit of context of grace. Like, is that actually what you meant to say? Is that actually what you believed? Another thought that Jesus had is the whole, by their fruit you will know them. We've all started planting gardens recently, I hope. And when all the little things sprout out, you may or may not know if that is a false teacher or a weed growing or something else. But once you get to the fruit stage, you're going to know. If not, well, maybe do something else for your free time. Whoa, they've been lying this whole time. And then 
we presume to be teachers because those who teach will be held to a higher standard. And I think that's where it gets really scary. Yes. Uh, because when we presume to talk with any authority, and in our brotherhood, like you said, this is even more dire because all of us are royal priesthood and we all believe that we're administered in some way. And when we speak with authority, we start leading people astray, then I think we are starting to become people who could become victims of the situation. Uh, and I remember, because like, it's like whenever, what was it? It was Rob Bell, right? You know, he came out of that book a while back, and Christians would viciously go after him and say, oh, what a terrible guy, false teacher, his theology's terrible. And it maybe was, but sometimes, like, I think what Second Peter's also saying is, like, we don't want to be the kind of people Thrive in disunity and and you know we're breaking people apart and we're hurting people and like I know where I grew up a lot of times if a preacher said anything that they didn't understand you know, like when our brains were working we would be very aggressive to yeah. go, whoa 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 that's totally wrong and totally not the right place and I feel like that's a really bad spot to be and I know I've been there and that's where I'm like every time somebody says something I, I kind of sit on my ivory tower and I'm like yeah, I know better than you but it's like I think people observing me with that behavior, like, I wonder what am I meaning them, what am I teaching other people based on my behavior someone presumes to teach. Yeah. We have to be really uh, cautious with how we act um, and our posture with things, and I think a lot of that comes with humility, like, we always have to, like, be listening with humility and having grace on other people, because if we don't, then we get into a place where we're very susceptible to be teaching people very wrong lessons. Yeah. Peter doesn't really explain it here about the whole purity of the church and how that all plays out, but he does seem to give this idea that we'll never have a pure church. There will always be people among us who will be teaching things that are incorrect, but somehow we have to work out this context of still seeking to be truth, still seeking to teach truth, and rebuking that which is wrong, but at the same time, like that whole... Like you said, the church you grew up, they were attacked very people very quickly. YouTube, I find, is phenomenally powerful that way. Almost any speaker you listen to on YouTube, you can find someone who will call him a heretic. Which is scary because there's no way to judge who has the actual authority, the understanding of what is, not no way, it's hard to judge who has the authority and who is right in their teaching and the correct things. Yes, we, we have a responsibility to listen to those who teach us, but at the same time, not let them make the decisions. Is that what you're saying? All right, it's five minutes to 11 and we need to close. Thank you and hopefully you deal with your false prophets. <laughs>